Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Brad Harbison, and my guest today is Dr. Jeffrey Lockwood, entomologist from the University of Wyoming. And Jeff is the author of nonfiction and fiction book. And Jeff recently announced the publication of Murder on the Fly, a new fiction book. In our podcast today, we'll learn more about this new book and also talk to Jeff about one of his favorite subjects, which is insect fear. Jeff, thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me, Brad. I, um, you know, I enjoy these conversations. Jeff, you've done a lot of research about why humans fear insects. How did you become interested in this topic? <laughs> I guess uh, I guess I I became interested in fear because I experience it. Um, I mean, that's the simple explanation. Because you know, I, I think um, as, as I've sort of experienced life and other people and whatnot, I've sort of come to the conclusion that if you want to understand your own behavior and and the behavior of those around you, you really have to understand. What it is a person fears? Um, do they fear death or failure, um, embarrassment, unemployment, sickness? You know, our fears really do drive uh, a lot of our lives and a lot of our behaviors. And Jeff, as part of this research that we discussed here, I know you've interviewed psychologists and therapists to learn more about this phenomenon. Can you share some of what they've related to you? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, okay, so basically... Um, we, we have to say that fear, and, and actually fear has sort of this other psychological partner, right? There's two universal, aversive human emotions. One is fear, and one is disgust, experienced by all people across all cultures. They sort of unite the world, fear and disgust. Um, and so I, the first thing to understand, I think, is that uh, both of these emotions, uh, I'll start with fear, is, is absolutely critical. Uh, to our physical and mental health. I mean, it's we've survived in large part because you know we're capable of fear. It's 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 good and important to be afraid of uh, a large object moving towards you at high speed, right? Um, that's a, an appropriate thing to fear. Um, and likewise, disgust is an important survival capacity. We um, evolutionarily, I think, we've been disgusted by things that can contaminate or infect us, and so. Um, you know, it's a it's a highly adaptive human emotion. But, of course, there's always the but when you talk to psychologists and therapists, right? right. But taken to excess, um, uh, and, and when fear does become excessive um, or becomes irrational uh, or persistent or unreasonable, those are the, the hallmarks of what we call a phobia. And, uh, you know, a phobia is a persistent, excessive, unreasonable fear, and almost 20 million Americans uh, are afflicted with, uh, with one or another phobia. And, um, you know, entomophobia, fear of insects, is one of the most common forms of the disorder. And I, I think, Jeff, one of the, the more interesting things you've written about was, you know, you talk about the role human evolution has played in making us even more afraid of insects than maybe in the past. I mean, is that true? Were our ancestors really better equipped to deal with insects? <laughs> um, yeah, I think they were in some ways, right? So, um, you know, here's how I sort of try to understand it. Um, we, we are evolutionarily uh, um, adept at responding to insects. We react to insects. Little bitty children um, show this kind of evolutionary root. They, they attend to insects. And it's what we, it's what, what psychologists call prepared learning. They're ready to learn about these small skittering things that catch their eye. Um, you know, language, learning language is a kind of prepared learning. You know, you don't, you don't come out of the womb speaking, you know, Mandarin, Chinese, or, or English, but you're, 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 your brain is prepared to learn. And that's 
where culture steps in, and culture shapes this evolutionary predisposition, and that's true with our response to insects. And so in uh, you know prehistory, uh, early evolutionary times of humans, um, there were sort of two adaptive responses to insects, and I, I have to borrow this from a colleague. And uh, the phrase was, every insect was either warranted a squeal or a meal, right? It was a squeal if it was dangerous and could inflict pain. But, and we've kind of lost this thread um, in our lives, um, a lot of insects were important sources of protein and fat for us. Um, we, were, we included insects in our diet as, as early humans, and a lot of cultures actually still do. Many cultures still include insects. Um, but with sort of the development of, of uh, Western culture into sort of urbanized, um, highly hygienic environments, uh, insects um, became um, almost universally negative, right? So cockroaches, house flies, um, earwigs, um, you know, bed bugs, termites, right? All of these were bad news. Um, and so in, a, in, you know, in that sort of hyper-clean urban environment, um, there's just not uh, a real need for people to distinguish good insects from bad insects, you know, squeals from meals. Um, and so uh, we're kind of sloppy in the modern world, most of us, at distinguishing insects, right? We pick it out, it's an insect, and we leap to sort of the conclusion that it must be bad. Mm. And can you give us an example of how societal norms and behaviors influence the way we feel about certain insects? Oh, yeah, sure. There's, um, let me pick sort of the, the obvious case, right? And that's bed bugs, right? Um, when bed bugs started to make a return, people saw them as a sign of dirtiness, right? Filth, lack of hygiene. Um, nobody wanted, I mean, it would be uh, an indication of a sort of a moral failing to have bed bugs in your, in your apartment. And so, you know, people were embarrassed. Um, they, they, early on, and I think still to a certain point, they, they wait. Right? They don't want their neighbors to see that a pest control operator is parked in front of their house or coming into their apartment, and so they let the infestation build up. And it's all because of this societal norm, right, that to have insects, especially bed bugs, is a sign of, of some sort of a failure in terms of your character, right? Your, your, your place is dirty or filthy, and we know that's, that's not true. Uh, we know, that is, you know, entomologists and pest control operators, but um, the public perceives it that way. Um, you know, when I began my career working on grasshoppers, uh, rangeland grasshoppers in the West, and boy, those are loaded with societal norms. Um, you know, what in Western civilization, the grasshoppers and their relatives, that is the locusts, you know, were, were seen as having been sent by an angry god to punish the Egyptian pharaoh. You know, and I think that that kind of cultural bias still exists in how ranchers and governments re respond to outbreaks of grasshoppers and locusts. So, yeah, um, societal norms and behaviors influence us, um, you know, and they influence us powerfully through the media, right? Uh, you know, movies, films, uh, uh, you know, uh, YouTubes, uh, you know, videos now. Um, all of those um, are sort of cultural inputs, and most of them <laughs> don't cast insects in a very positive light. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, what are some of the ways that people can overcome or, or cope with their insect fear? Well, you know, if it's uh, if it if it uh, you know if it's just sort of a common, you know, garden level fear or anxiety, I think uh, uh, learning, reading, contacting insects, 
um, experiencing uh, what they are and what they aren't, um, you know, realizing that while they are kind of a, you know, this alien life form, they can also be a source of wonder and fascination. Um, but if one is dealing with, you know, a, a, you know, a true phobia, there are some, some therapies out there. Um, and, and, uh, and actually, if you have entomophobia, it's, uh, it's kind of good news in a weird way because it's one of the psychological conditions or ailments that we actually have a very, very effective therapy for, and that's a, a therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy. And uh, licensed uh, mental health uh, providers uh, can take an individual through uh, uh, a session or sessions of cognitive behavioral therapy. Sometimes um, in as little as one session, they can get an individual to sort of get over the fear. And, and basically the idea here is to, is to bring the rational mind into dialogue with the emotional mind. Um, and help people to sort of uh, think through rather than emote their way through um, what really uh, is the basis for their fear. And it turns out that insects really don't warrant these, you know, these sort of excessive, um, you know, debilitating fears. And so, uh, so we've got a therapy that works very well. Hmm. Really interesting insights, uh, Jeff. Um, Want to switch over a little bit about to your writing and, and also, you know, talk about. The, the fear of insects, just as, as mm-hmm. we talked about. How have you included this, this idea of fear of insects into your fiction and nonfiction writing? Well, you see, in nonfiction, I, uh, in 2013, I published a, a book um, intended for popular reading, so it's, it's very accessible, um, and it's called The Infested Mind, um, and subtitled Why Humans Fear, Loathe, and Love Insects. Um, and that actually begins with sort of my own experience of, of terror, in, in the presence of being overwhelmed by a swarm of insects. Um, and there's a chapter in there uh, in which I've, I did a pretty extensive set of interviews and really focused on one with a pest control operator and asked how they deal with, uh, you know, with that fear, right? So, you know, when you're, you know, when you're, in, a, when you're in a tight space and, and insects are dropping down on you and uh, skittering around you, uh, you know, we're, we're evolved to have a pretty aversive reaction. And so... Uh, trying to get into the mind of pest control operators was a was a part of the research for the book. Um, so that's the nonfiction. In fiction, you know, uh, my my character in my series of murder mysteries is is a fellow named Riley. He's an ex cop uh, turned exterminator, um, and he deals frequently with clients. I love to put him in in conversations with homeowners and clients who are fearful of insects, and so that. Uh, um, that dialogue, which many uh, pest control operators, you know, certainly have with people, and sort of talking them down uh, from their fears, um, you know, is an important part of his character as well. And that uh, leads right into my next question. There, let's talk about the new book. Um, again, the new book is Murder on the Fly, and it's the second installment in your Riley the Exterminator's mystery series. Can you give us a, a brief overview of the book? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, so it's set in 1981. Uh, in San Francisco, um, this little paragraph on the back of the book, uh, let me just, it just takes a second here. It says, the body of a gay cop who committed suicide, a radical commune in the hills above Berkeley, and a pest outbreak that will cost California $10 billion if not controlled would be sufficient problems by themselves. But the maggots don't match the policeman's time of death, the hippies aren't as peaceful as they claim, and the medfly is spreading faster than it could move on its own. So um, what the book, sort of the central story here is this medfly outbreak in, in 1981, which 
you know, uh, you know, people of my age and maybe yours remember. Um, and it's based on, and actually that, uh, I researched that outbreak as part of my another nonfiction book called Six-Legged Soldiers, um, in which I looked at the history of the use of insects as weapons. And uh, during this outbreak in San Francisco, there was an eco-terrorist group um, that reportedly, and they, they sent letters to authorities saying that they were spreading the medflies. Um, and there was some evidence, in fact, uh, circumstantial evidence, that uh, that you know there was a human element in the spread of this infestation, and so that was sort of the germ of the idea for my book. And I asked sort of myself, is um, what if that had been the story? Um, what, why would a group of people choose to attack industrial agriculture? Um, and so that's you know that's the thread that that carries the story forward. But there's certainly other elements of of entomology and pest management that make their their way into the tale. Yeah, and you mentioned some of those elements, but obviously um, our audience, we've got a lot of entomologists, pest management professionals. What are some of the elements of the book that you think will, will specifically appeal to that crowd? Well, you know, I, I think, the, um, I think uh, uh, the science, there's actually some, you know, it's kind of fun, that, you know, the science behind that medfly outbreak um, and, and how such an event uh, happened or, you know, even could happen again. You know, and the other thing, of course, with that sort of a, sort of an event is, uh, and I think this is very interesting for people in applied entomology, is the politics. Um, I do a lot playing around with the, the maneuvering of the various interest groups and the politics that comes with a massive program uh, during an, an, an outbreak of an invasive insect pest. So, so that's in there. Um, and that's woven into this tension between environmental and economic concerns, right? And that, that often happens. Um, you know, when people are responding in the, in the story with these irrational fear of insects, irrational fear of insecticides, um, there's just a whole lot of, of, uh, of fear going on in driving these various interest groups, you know, into conflict. Um, and then, of course, I throw in uh, a little bit of forensic entomology because, as I, I kind of read from the, the synopsis there, uh, the story begins uh, early on with a dead cop. Uh, and the maggots that have taken up residence in his body don't align with the reported time and the nature of his death. And so that's the first clue that something to miss is going on in the hills above Berkeley. Great. And uh, just uh, one last, couple more questions here for you. Sure. And then, see, we mentioned it's the second in the series. What are your plan future plans for the Riley the Exterminator mystery series? Well, I'm working on the third book. Um, and uh, that actually also comes out. This is this is kind of comes full circle here because uh, the research for that uh, book came out of um, the research that I did for my nonfiction book, The Infested Mind. Um, and so in that story, which I've just so, well, I've kind of got outlined, storyboarded. Um, it begins with uh, uh, two bodies uh, that are found. Um, and uh, it, it, it unfolds that uh, it appears they've poisoned themselves, um, and it also appears that they suffered from a condition called delusory parasitosis, right? And this is um, a lot of PCOs and applied entomologists, extension entomologists, deal with people who, you know, who think their house or their body is infested, but um, you know, there's really nothing there. But people will do these horrible things with chemicals to themselves and their surroundings, and in my story, uh, uh, they take it to sort of the ultimate limit, and they end up poisoning themselves. Um, but there's an element in, at the death scene that suggests that's not the whole story. 
And that leads to a second kind of uh, psychological uh, feature involving insects. Um, it turns out one of the characters, actually the, the grandson of the, of the dead couple, um, is uh, an individual who uh, has a condition called formicophilia, which is a well-documented condition, um, in which insects are used for sexual stimulation, which sounds kind of weird, but uh, um, and it is considered by many people to be deviant, and it's that kind of deviant relationship to insects that makes this individual prone to blackmail. Um, and so we get we now, so now we've got murder, we've got blackmail, we've got insects, and we've got sex and insects. Um, and then the thing goes even to a darker place in terms of the human mind. And um, I'm playing around with the idea that, that it leads to um, another condition or people practicing another condition, which is called crush fetishism. Crush fetishism. Uh, and in the crush fetish, um, which again is a, is a well-documented psychological condition, uh, men fantasize about being dominated by a woman. And they, they live out this fantasy by watching a woman, usually on film um, or live, crush insects underneath her feet. It sounds pretty weird, but, um, but it's, uh, you know, it's a well-established uh, um, uh, sexual practice. Again, by some considered you know, a deviant practice. Um, and uh, this, this, uh, this practice of using insects under a woman's feet is called soft crush because the insects are, of course, a soft or non-vertebrate, but there's a, a relatively actually quite rare practice called hard crush in which um, vertebrates are actually crushed, and you can see where this might be headed in the, in the twisted mind of, a, of an entomologist author who's interested in murder. Sort of the ultimate version of a hard crush would be to watch another human being crushed. And so here we get, you know, Riley drawn into this very dark, um, you know, in, uh, relationship between you know, the infested mind um, and, and crime. So uh, it's, a, it's a fun book. It you know, touches on some really weird and, and largely unknown psycho, psychological, even psychosexual disorders involving our minds and insects, of all things. So uh, uh, I, think, uh, I think that you know, it starts off with, with some conditions that are pretty familiar to applied entomologists and pest control operators and then goes in some directions uh, that may be well outside of our experience, but uh, not outside the experience of mental health professionals. Yeah, a lot of really interesting. Uh, I think our, our folks in our industry really be interested in the way you've kind of woven entomology and all the, the various uh, subsets of entomology into, into your book. And I know personally, it was great to, for me to learn about new terms like soft crush and hard crush. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then just lastly, uh, Jeff, just to, if folks want to pick up the book, what's where, where can they order it from? Well, uh, you know, I guess the quick and easy thing that everybody knows is Amazon, sure. right? So you can just order from Amazon, or they can order it uh, directly from the publisher, which is Penl. That's P-E-N-L. Um, so they can just type that in, and it'll pop up the Penl Publishers website. So either of those will work. You can get it in uh, in uh, paperback, or uh, it's available as an ebook as well. All right. Good deal. Well, Jeff, uh, thanks again for joining us, and thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in today's podcast. Have a great day.